0: Our reading this morning is the story of Lazarus, um, excerpts from John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the, his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. This is the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ be to
1: God. Uh, before we open up the word this morning, would you pray with me? Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet. We pray this morning you would use it to guide your sons and daughters in your way. Jesus, we pray that you would use your word to sanctify your church and make us more the church you want us to be. Spirit, we pray that you would drive these truths deep into our heart and shape us by them. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, back when I was in in high school, um, I I was really pretty vocal uh, about my faith and I invited a lot of friends to to church, and uh, especially on the swimming and diving team, because my dad was the diving coach, and so they knew my dad, who was the pastor, and they knew me, and so I invited a lot of my friends to church. And I remember one particular swimmer, his name was Cameron, came to a Sunday evening service. Now, our church was a a small, kind of family-oriented church, and when I say small, I mean small, like 30 people, 40 people. Um... And Sunday nights, we spent a lot of time praying for one another. And so at least 15 to 20 minutes of the service were spent in taking prayer requests and, and then in praying for one another. And I remember after the service, my friend Cameron looked at me and he's like, dude, you guys are so sick. <laughs> You've got so much going on. Uh, I was like, I don't know if I can handle all this sickness and and so I tried to explain to him, well, it's not that we're the more sick, but, you know, we do get sick too. And we pray for one another, and we, we know Jesus can hear prayers and answer prayers and heal. He's like, oh, so you expect all of those people to be healed? I'm like, well, no, not all of them. You know, sometimes God withholds healing, and, you know, even Christians die, and, and he just didn't get it. It's probably my... High school attempt to explain it is what the short circuit was there. Um, I don't think he ever came back to church. I don't know what happened to Cameron. I'm going to attempt this morning from John chapter 11 to give a more robust explanation of sickness, death, healing in the tension of the already and the not yet. We've been in this series called Already Not Yet where we're exploring the tension between living in the the hope of glory and in the already small experiences of that glory now. We've talked about how Jesus brought the eternal kingdom with him when he came to earth. And so we could say the kingdom is amongst you. And in Christ, even now, we can experience resurrection power. And in this series, we've been exploring what this means for us as we practically live and battle with sin and are saints and sinners at the same time and have the hope of resurrection, but experience resurrection power even now. And this morning, we're coming to think about our experience with sickness, frailty, healing, and death in the midst of this already not yet Tension. And we're doing it from the story of Lazarus, John, ta- John chapter 11. And this morning, I-, I want to highlight seven points, seven insights from the story. And I trust me, they're not long. It's not a 45-minute sermon, I promise. But seven insights from John chapter 11. First, because the kingdom is not yet fully realized... Even Jesus' friends get sick. Uh, There's a small phrase in verse 3 that I don't want you to pass over. The word is sent by Martha and Mary to Jesus about Lazarus' sickness. And the words are, He whom you love is sick. Lazarus was not just a passing acquaintance of Jesus. He was a personal friend of Jesus. Jesus loved him in an intimate, personal way. He whom you love is sick. Now, it might seem very obvious, right, that even friends of Jesus get sick. I mean, just in our own church, we have people struggling and fighting with cancer. People who have struggled with lifelong debilitating illnesses people who are still fighting to recover from covid and the list could go on and on we get sick but sometimes the obvious needs to be stated like clearly because we can drift away from the obvious i've been reading with a group of friends this book called the poison wood bible it's a novel about missionaries who go to the Congo in the late 1940s, early 1950s. And they're, they're laboring in the Congo. Uh, the dad, who's the pastor, wants to baptize all the kids in the river. And there is resistance to that because, well, there's crocodiles in the river. And the crocodiles eat kids, and, uh, and the pastor's trug- struggling to kind of figure all this stuff out, and his church just isn't gaining any traction. No one's coming to his church in this really remote village. And eventually, through one of his translators, he's told, well, they're waiting. They're waiting to see if your Jesus protects you. They're not going to give up their gods until they know your God will protect you from malaria and sleeping sickness and crocodiles and Lions and snakes. There was this sense that if he is powerful, like you say he is, and if he's good, he'll protect you from these illnesses. Even the pastor in this book kind of falls into that, and he says over and over again, we're doing God's work. He'll take care of us. It's easy to slide into that kind of mindset uh, the health and wealth prosperity gospel, it is a lie from the pit of hell, but it is a lie that is part of the air we breathe. It, it's tainted the well that we drink from. I can't tell you how many times in my Christian life I've been told the safest place for you to be is at the center of God's will. It's just not true. Even Jesus' friends get sick. But that, that, that view that, oh, God will keep us safe, just can subtly slide in. So we need to remind ourselves of the words of Job. Saint Job, patient Job, who on one day lost his wealth, Lost his sons and daughters. Lost his health and was afflicted with painful boils. His wife, who for some reason God didn't take. Leave that for you to decipher. (laughs) Says to him, curse God and die. And it says, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Or take the words of Elizabeth Elliot, the missionary whose husband, Jim Elliot, was martyred in Ecuador. She said, God included the hardships of my life in his original plan. Nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing is for nothing. I love that. Nothing is... Is for nothing. God has not promised immunity from all the ills of this life. Even Jesus' friends get sick. But He's promised that He would be with us and sustain us through them and use them. That's a truth we need to preach ourselves, not just when we're sick, not just when we're experiencing a downturn in life's you know, blessings. But even when things are going good, we need to remind ourselves of that truth so that we're prepared for when, not if, when things don't go well. That was insight one. Even friends of Jesus get sick. Number two, still, though the kingdom hasn't yet fully come, Jesus already holds the power to heal. Healing is all over the Gospels. Jesus is healing lepers. Jesus is healing blind men. Jesus is healing paralytics and the demon oppressed. And so it's very good and natural that Jesus' friends send word to him. Lazarus, the one whom you love, he's sick because they know Jesus has the power to heal. One of the sisters says to Jesus in verse 23, If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. You had the power to stop this Jesus. And then she adds, even now, we know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus has the power to heal. And sometimes I think we fall into this mode of thinking where we understand Jesus had the power to heal but wonder where that power has gone now. So I will say it unequivocally, Jesus still has the power to heal. He does it sometimes indirectly through the wonders of doctors and nurses and modern medicine. Sometimes, still today, he does it directly through answered prayers through the laying on of hands God still heals my parents served for a brief time in as missionaries in Fiji they left when i was in college and i have not yet forgiven them for that but they were in Fiji for about 7 years and one of my dad's partners in ministry was a man named Paul Paul's story was incredible When he was very young as a child, he was stricken ill with a fever. And doctors hadn't cured him. His family was not yet Christians, and so they had taken him to the local witch doctor. And the witch doctor had not cured him. And so in a desperate last-ditch effort to save their son, they brought him to missionaries who prayed over him and immediately... He was healed. And he went on to be a pastor in Fiji. It's an incredible story of how Jesus can still heal. And because of that, we pray. We bring our sicknesses, our infirmities, our ailments, and lay them at Jesus' feet. And it is appropriate to ask, Jesus, please heal Please do what you have done and bring wholeness back. It is very appropriate to ask for healing. But the third thing is also true. Presently, for reasons that we sometimes don't understand, Jesus withholds healing. When my brother was 11 years old or so, We were playing Nintendo, as brothers did back in the 90s. And I would notice we'd be playing Nintendo, and he would just kind of let his guy, we were playing Contra, just run off the edge of the screen and die. I'm like, Josh, what are you doing? He just had this blank stare. Through that, we realized my brother has epilepsy, That was just the beginning. It has gotten far worse for him through the decades that he has struggled with epilepsy. He has prayed for healing. He has been told by others that, well, you're not healed because you don't have enough faith, and I want to punch those people in the face. Why hasn't he been healed? I don't know. Sometimes... Healing doesn't come. Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers of the 19th century, struggled for decades with debilitating gout. Charles Simeon, one of my, well, I'm sorry, William Cowper, one of my favorite hymn writers, struggled through debilitating depressions and prayed for healing and wasn't healed. Why? I don't know But we get hints in this story of Lazarus. In verse 4, Jesus says that this sickness will not end in death. It actually ends in resurrection and life. But he says, no, the sickness is for God's glory. So that God's own son may be glorified. Sometimes... God is more glorified through patient, holy endurance than he is through a miraculous healing. But it's also for our good. And that is just so hard to wrap your mind around. But look at verse 5 and 6 in this passage. If you have your Bible opened, I invite you to look at it. This is what it says. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Reading that, you expect yet he stayed there for two more days. But there's intention behind this delay. He waits, he delays, because... He loves Lazarus. And there's something better for him in this moment than just a healing. There's something better for him that God has in store. And so, Jesus withholds the healing. You can look at the Apostle Paul, who experienced a similar kind of thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he talks about a thorn in his flesh. He says, I've asked the Lord to withdraw this from me three times, and yet I still have this thorn in the flesh, which he refers to as a messenger of Satan. There, there's been all kinds of debate about what this thorn in the flesh was. Was it some ailment? Was it a, a blindness? Was it an opponent that kept harassing him? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. It was a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan that was sent to trip Paul up. Satan was using this thorn in the flesh as an obstacle, as something he was designing to draw Paul into sin. But Paul says... It's being used for my sanctification to keep me from being conceited. What Satan designed for one purpose, God uses for the good of his people. I don't know how and why in your life God is using what you're going through. But I know he is for his glory and for your good. And ultimately, he also uses sickness to convey us to glory. Spurgeon, who struggled for decades with gout, died from gout and was conveyed to glory. Sometimes sickness leads to death. We skipped one. Go back to four. And in this overlap between the already and the not yet, the kingdom is already here but not yet fully consummated. In this overlap, even Jesus' friends die. Uh, this story is just at parts funny, right? Jesus says, my friend Lazarus, he's fallen asleep. We're going to go to Bethany so I can wake him up. And the disciples are just at times they're dimwits, and I'm thankful because so am I. are like, well, if he's asleep, he'll wake up by himself. And he's like, no, dummies, he's dead. Lazarus, Jesus' friend, died. In the story, my favorite book ever, Pilgrim's Progress. The pilgrim, Christian, has gone through the slew of despair. He's gone through the castle of doubt. He's met a wonderful companion named Hopeful. And they finally have made it to Beulah land. And they're right there at the gate of the celestial city. Heaven. But between them... And the gate to the celestial city, there is a wide river, the river of death. And they come to this river, and Christian especially is overwhelmed with fear. And he says, there's no bridge. Is there no way across this river other than going through it? And two messengers, two angels have come to them. And they say, only two, since the foundations of the world have been given another way, Enoch and Elijah, All others must pass through the river of death. And together, Christian and Hopeful walk into this river. Christian is overwhelmed with fear and begins to panic, and Hopeful points him to Jesus. He says, be of good cheer. Jesus Christ makes you whole. And with that, Christian cried out with a loud voice, Oh. I see him again and he tells me when you pass through the waters I will be with you and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. My favorite book and my favorite like two pages of that book. Even Christians die. And it's a vehicle that God uses to bring us to glory. The fifth thing. Even when Jesus heals, it's not yet a permanent healing. If you move out of John chapter 11 into John chapter 12... The Pharisees and the religious leaders are so upset with this grand miracle, right? Jesus has raised a man from the dead. He had been in the tomb for four days. Now he's walking around telling everybody they plot to kill Jesus and to kill Lazarus. To stop this news from spreading. We don't know what happened to Lazarus. The Gospels don't give us any more information. But I do know the plot could have succeeded. Lazarus was not yet immune from death. He had been healed, he had been raised, but he was still very much mortal. Church tradition gives us two alternate endings to the Lazarus story. Some church tradition says that he went to Cyprus and became a bishop there and died in 63 AD. Another church tradition says that he went to Gaul and was martyred under Emperor Domitian. However Lazarus died, he did die. The healing wasn't a permanent healing. You can look at... Luke 17. Luke 17 is this great story of Jesus healing ten lepers. One comes back and offers thanks. And Jesus says, didn't I heal ten? Ten lepers healed. One is thankful. All ten are now dead. Jesus healed, but it wasn't yet a permanent healing. In the here and the now, when Jesus heals, he heals of disease or infirmity or affliction. He does not yet heal of mortality. But someday, my thumb's heavy and it keeps going twice, someday Jesus will heal all of his friends permanently permanently. This past spring, I was sitting with a friend who had recently received just a horrible diagnosis with a grim prognosis, and sitting on the couches in my basement, he said, Dan, I know God can heal. Will he heal me? My answer was absolutely someday. He might heal you now, and I'm praying for that. I know someday he will heal you completely and permanently. There is a time coming when Jesus will heal of every disease, every malformity, every ache, and he'll heal of death, and even the possibility of dying. There is a time coming where there is no disease, no brokenness, no pain, no suffering, no tears, no mortality, when death has died. But now, in the interim, We can be comforted knowing that Jesus feels his friend's suffering. He doesn't stand at a distance from it, he's entered right into it. Some of those comforting words in the Gospels come in this passage Jesus wept, he knew the end of the story. He knew what he was about to do. And yet he was still gripped by grief and loss. And he felt Mary and Martha's grief. And he wept. He feels our pain and our suffering. He empathizes. But even more profoundly than that, in Isaiah chapter 53, and then again in Second Peter, who quotes Isaiah 53, we're told that it's by his stripes, by his wounds, we have been healed. Our suffering, our pain, our infirmity, he has taken on himself, and he felt it in his flesh when he suffered on our behalf. Seven insights from John chapter 11 in the story of Lazarus. But so now what? How, how do we take these insights, these truths, and bring them to bear in our work-a-day life? Quickly, first, we pray for healing. You've heard me say that, Right? <laughs> It is good, it is right to pray for healing, to pray for the healing of our brothers and sisters and our friends and loved ones and people we don't even know. Pray for healing. Don't be sheepish about it. I often am, and I confess that. I often add, if it's your will. I'm encouraging you to pray boldly for healing in faith, knowing that Jesus can and does still Heal. Third, prepare for dying. If you go through New England and go into any old cemetery, you can find Puritan gravestones. You can just do it, do a Google search. Puritan gravestones. They're elaborate, which is kind of striking because Puritan worship was not... Right, Churches in Puritan New England were just simple buildings, not ordained, not elaborate, but their tombstones were, often decorated with kind of grim images. Skeletons, skulls, skulls with wings, sickles, and often the words, memento mori. Remember death. Remember your dying. One famous Puritan pastor made a series of resolutions and he said, resolved to think much on all occasions of my own dying and the common circumstances which attend death. That's so grim. But it's a way of acknowledging our mortality and preparing ourselves for when death Finds us so that we're not taken by surprise. We're not unprepared spiritually, emotionally for it. And in that preparedness for dying, we can be a wonderful witness to the world. Leo Tolstoy, the Russian author, was struggling with faith. And he said, I looked around at my circles of friends, the intelligentsia, the the elite. And they died horrible deaths. They were overcome with fear. And they saw it as some great evil. They approached it with horror and despair. But, he looked, but when he looked at the poor peasants, who were more sincere, he says, in their faith. They approached death with tranquility. Even gladly. It was rare that they approached it troubled, rebellious, or in an unhappy way. And that had a tremendous impact on Tolstoy. Prepare for dying. And then finally, live presuming the resurrection. I would want to reword this. Live in mocking disdain of death. treated as the petulant child that's throwing a temper tantrum and kicking and screaming and clawing and can't really do any harm. Mock death. It doesn't have the final word. The great English poet, John Donne, penned just a fantastic poem, Death Be Not Proud. Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. The poem ends, one short sleep past, and then we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death thou shalt die. Mock death. Christian, your sickness, your ailment, your life, it doesn't end in death. It leads through death to the celestial city. It leads through death to resurrection and eternal life. Armed with that, we do not need to fear. We do not need to be afraid. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your powerful word, and we pray that you would, by it, give us courage to face what this week holds, whether it's sickness, whether it's another pandemic, whatever you have in store for us. We know that you can guide us through it and will guide us through it safely to our eternal home. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.